Every year, many children die here. They are not victims to dangerous illness or unhealth. They are victims of being forgotten because they have no access to basic medical needs. Please, openly donate to the Eritrean refugees. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to this special uh, episode of the Unscripted Live podcast. We have uh, all the way from Sheikh, where are you from? Uh, where are you uh, speaking from today? Birmingham? Uh, Said? No, no, in London. Yeah, oh. in London, okay. All the way from London, yeah. we have Sheikh Said from Ethar Relief. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. And uh, all the way also from London, we have uh, Tariq Sheikh uh, joining us. So, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, these two guests. Uh, Tariq will be kind of like a co-host uh, today because he's got uh, a lot of experience in the, the sector that we'll be talking about today. Uh, Tariq, do you want to introduce yourself? I mean, what can we say about Tariq? Only good things, inshallah, I hope. Yeah, everyone. Uh, so yeah, alhamdulillah, I've been working in the charity sector for a while with different organizations. Uh, mainly marketing and fundraising, but also been on the ground as well. So I'm, I hope that will help this uh, this podcast. Yeah, alhamdulillah. And it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Sheikh Saeed from uh, Ithar Relief. Now, you may remember Sheikh uh, Saeed from a one-on-one -on -one bid discussion we did a few years ago. I think it was a year or two years ago, maybe. And um, yeah, I mean, his story just blew me away, uh, subhanAllah. And, uh, you know, we were eager to get him back on to the Unscripted podcast too. Um, to you know, to let let him tell the story uh, of Ithar Relief and his own personal story, inshallah, uh, as well uh, to a wider audience, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. How are you doing, Sheikh? How's the uh, how's the lockdown going for you? Alhamdulillah, everything that comes from Allah is good. Allah. Uh, there is always benefit in uh, in those um, uh, difficult times. So let's have a look, inshallah, at the positive side of it, inshallah. I mean, subhanallah, this. Uh, you know, a lot of people in who previously had comfortable lives. You know, we have uh, we're, we're tasting a tiny little bit of something which is maybe um, the, the the norm for so many people. And you know, last time we spoke, Sheikh Saeed, uh, he um, he told us about uh, a special community of refugees, uh, which is uh, which is very uh, or, you know, almost unknown by the most of the world, and that is four generations. Subhanallah, three or four generations of refugees, and that is from uh, Eritrea, and that is where Sheikh Saeed uh, traces his own roots back to as well. Can you tell us just a bit about your, um, the, for those who don't know you, about your your your, your background and your history? Um, to start with, Subhanallah, if people are um, uh, fed up, uh, concerned, um, tired, uh, frustrated from being um, uh, locked mm -hmm. down, locked up. Uh, uh, because of the uh, COVID-19, let's remember there are people who are locked in refugee camps since the, the 60s. Over 50 years, people mm. are locked in a small geographical area far away from main towns in refugee camps that was built only last for a few months. And these people, they were supposed to go back to Eritrea from the 60s until today, as he said, third or fourth generation today they are born in those refugee camps. Let me zoom back to my own personal journey so that maybe will give you a sense of why those people are in those refugee camps and what's happening. Um, Eritrea is, um, is in the Horn of Africa, opposite Saudi, across the um, Red Sea. Um, Eritrea used to be part of Ethiopia for um, mm -hmm. up to 92. Um, Historically, Eritrea was colonized by the Italy until the 40s, and then during the um, Second World War, uh, the British uh, colonized it uh, for 10 years, and then Eritrea was given um, uh, semi-independent, uh, but that did not last long. Uh, the Ethiopian um, uh, uh, almost dominated Eritrea, mm. and then um, independence, uh, fighting for independence started early in the 50s, and then armed struggle in the 60s, early in the 60s, 61 to be precise. Between 61 to 67, to 67, it was a small um, struggle. From 67, when the Ethiopian were burning villages, 
those villages, say in, in a village, uh, one of the strugglers, the army of the Eritrean will hide in those villages. So mm. as a punishment, the whole village will be burned. burned. And the, the whole village will run away for, for, to save their life, to save their kids. And the nearest neighboring country is Sudan. So the first group, they run to Sudan in 1967. In their mind was the things will settle within a few months and they are going back. Yeah, Even the Sudanese that. government, when they uh, gave them space, they gave them space two, three hours away from the nearest town with no road. And if the, it's raining heavy, you are locked away with no transportation to any near city for almost a month or two months because it's so muddy. So those people start to live in those areas. And then in the 70s, when the war fully broke out between the Eritrean and Ethiopia, the Eritrean almost got their independence in 75, uh, with all towns captured by the Eritrean fighters, um, only with the capital city remaining in the hand of the Ethiopian. And then similar to what's happening today with Syria, the Russian interfering in Syria, the same thing happened. The Russian helped the Ethiopian, Russia, Cuba, China at that time, and they were bombarding every single city with airplane. You will see a huge number of airplanes just coming and killing hundreds of people every single day. So people start to immigrate to um, seek um, refuge in Sudan and moving from 74 up to 82, over a million and a half people run for their life from Eritrea. Almost half the population run out, um, run for their life from Eritrea to Sudan. My personal story, subhanAllah, that was back in 76. I was, I was only six years old. And I was living in a town called Mandafara. It's about <coughs> an hour from Asmara, the capital city. And like many of the cities, it was liberated by the Eritrean uh, fighters. But the airplane was uh, striking every other day. So in one of those nights, uh, my mom said to the family, and we had big family, the extended family was very big, mm. and my mom said to the family, it's uh, Wednesday, tomorrow is going to be Wednesday, and I feel the airplane will come back because they come every other day. So on Monday, they striked, a lot of people died, one of them was my uncle in the mm. market, and then she said, then it might come on Wednesday. SubhanAllah, half my family decided to stay, the other half, we escaped to the nearest uh, village. SubhanAllah, that was about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. You can see the airplane flying because the village is not far from our town. Mm. You can see airplane flying at high speed and very, very low. And you can hear the noise. And the next thing is you can see some smoke from distance. But never crossed my mind that 16 people of my family will be dead. SubhanAllah. Wallahi, Allah. 16 members of my family and 60 members, 16 members of the neighbors, they were all hiding in the underground that built in the same building. So people will just build um, some kind of escape uh, on the underground. SubhanAllah, from mm -hmm. then, we traveled from the village. We didn't go back to the town. We traveled from the village, uh, which, which is called Adi Itai. We traveled for about six weeks from uh, that village until we reached um, Kasala. And in traveling, you don't travel in straight line. Because a straight line mm. takes you about maybe five, six days walk. Um, there was no vehicles, uh, no animals to track. We had only three camels, and it was for uh, my grandmother, my auntie yeah. who was sick, and there was another person who was sick. So those three camels, they were used. The rest of us, about 19, on foot. I was only six. My younger brother was four, and my sister was two. And we had so many children. Mm. So for six weeks, wallahi, we were walking, hiding in village. So you go. And as soon as you reach a village, it will be captured by the Ethiopian. Mm. So you have to run away for your life. And then you go to another tower, there is a fight. Then you have to escape back. So you go, you come back, and you have to go through zigzag. And in the way, subhanAllah, one of the striking moments for me was when we were so thirsty and there was no water. And my mom, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower her with her mercy, she just passed Ameen. away about four or five months ago. Ameen. And she, uh, although I was six, I was the most mature among the kids. So she took me, she said, don't say anything. We're going to get some water. So she realized there was dirty water around. Mm. So she didn't want them to see the dirty water. She took me and subhanAllah, she was um, filtering the water with her scarf. I don't know how many times, 10, 20, mm. 30 times. She was filtering the water until it became a little decent to look at it, not to drink mm. it. But that was, that was the best thing we had. And people have to drink that water. 
And we continue. And then we ended up in refugee camp in Sudan after six weeks. Mm. And subhanAllah, hundreds of thousands of people were arriving every month. Almost mm -hmm. like a million and a half refugees arrived at that time. And there were huge refugee camps. And I was there with my family for a few months. Like, you know, uh, subhanAllah, my early is queuing for bread, queuing for, uh, for yeah. milk, queuing to take injection. Long queue, every single day, just queue. Mm. You queue for, for a little help. And you are excited if there is a vehicle coming from um, the UNICEF or UN. There is smaller school for UN. Mm. That was my story. Subhanallah, 35, 33 years later, I went back to the refugee camp. As a person who is working with charity, I wanted to give feedback, to give back to my community, to work with those forgotten refugees. Wallahi, the situation 10 times worse than it was back in 75, 76. Subhanallah. So you, yes. you escaped that, char that, that uh, um, the life in the refugee camps. And you, you, you know, then you came back years, decades later, and the same camps. You're saying that it's worse. It's gone back. Subhanallah. It's gone back. There is, there is no longer those units um, that provide um, help and medical aid. There isn't. Most refugee camps they don't have uh, medical provision, um, mm. health provision. Most refugee camps they don't. Actually, there was no secondary schools. The majority of kids, if they are lucky, around 20 or 30 percent of the kids, they will go to school up to primary mm. age. And that's it. There is no high school. There is no secondary school. Ithar built the first school. So kids living there with nothing, no clean water, mm. no regular food, and no health provision. And subhanAllah, it's like a hopeless life. Is that what, is that what, um, what inspired you to begin Ithar Relief? Uh, of course, it was uh, Brother Sultan Umar mm. uh, who started uh, Ithar Relief. Many mm. Eritreans were helping um, their families or the extended family. And similarly, Sultan, um, back in 2010, and Sultan, by the way, the CEO and the founder mm. of Ithar, he was orphan and he's been through the refugee camps. Mm. Uh, he's seen it all. Uh, as an orphan, he suffered, he struggled. He's, he, he came from poor family. And as a young person, he came from Sudan, traveled through the Middle East trying to find a place to settle. And he ended up in Europe. As soon as he settled in Europe, he started to help. And then he was told, you know what, um, if you are interested, why don't you set up a charity? He didn't know how to set up a charity. He was still young, trying to help. Alhamdulillah, in 2006, he set up the charity. I joined him in 2009 uh, as mm. a volunteer, and then 2011 uh, as, as, as a member of the Board of Trustees, and, and so on, 2012, I mean. And then we continue from there. So now you're the CEO of uh, Ithar Relief, that's correct? Yeah, COO. COO. Okay. Yes. Mashallah. Yeah. You don't often hear their stories. They are hungry, thirsty, and tired. These refugees fully understand destitution. Please openly donate to the Eritrean refugees. Uh, Tariq, you're going to jump in? <coughs> I think uh, having worked and seen so many victims of, of countries that have trauma victims, these, these cases of yourself and, and the other founder of the organization, they seem, mashallah, like quite unique scenarios because most of the children who grow up seeing these things, they're heavily affected by war. They're traumatized. You know, they, 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 they're isolated in many ways. They can't engage with people. So I'm just wondering, like, how does a, a child growing up in that environment, when many other children are, are affected and traumatized, they, they can't engage with society, they don't have the, the ability to, to develop as a normal child would, what do you think was the factor that allowed you to, uh, I guess, overcome those, those challenges of seeing war, seeing t turmoil, having family killed, these things normally affect even a person not in a, a war zone. Um, true. I mean, it's, uh, of course, the first of all is, uh, is by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, I have a, a beautiful life uh, afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a very, very caring mom. Uh, mm -hmm. My mother was my, 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 subhanallah, my uh, example, my quality of leadership I've seen in my mom, the way she handled everything from the moment 
um, she advised the family to leave the town to the mm. moment when uh, she saw half of her family, uh, best friends, her cousins, the closer cousins who used to sleep together in one bed. Mm. When she saw them dead, her reaction, her strength to take the rest of, her, of the family and to lead. By the way, out of the 22, there were about four young people. Uh, uh, people, the rest of them, they were women and children. And my mom was trying to protect those four young people because they would be probably uh, smuggled away or Mm. or kidnapped. So she was fearful for them. And she has to look after the whole family. And for her, for six weeks to lead um, this group of people and to manage financially and to manage the security and the number of women. And you know, in, in wartime, you are always afraid about the young ladies with you because yeah. subhanAllah, jungle is jungle and war is a war. You, you mm. don't know who you're going to meet in the way. And wallahi, she was day and night protecting the whole group until we reached to the refugee camps. And when she saw the refugee camp um, full with diseases, with problems, she, subhanAllah, is like a, a great escape from prison. We have to leave the refugee camps. I was because I was sick myself. My skin used to get stuck like this because of disease. I can't remember what kind of disease, but my my early moment, I remember every time I try to open my my hand, they will be stuck. Blood will come mm. out, and my 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 younger brother had a lot of issues. So, and my grandmother who witnessed. The, the, the crime in, in, in Eritrea, since the death of her, fam- of her family, her whole body went shaking. So since then, since then, for the rest of her life, that's how she was sitting all the time because of the shock. SubhanAllah. So, SubhanAllah, yeah. I've seen that, but my mom was protective. So when we came to, to Sudan and we managed to get out of the refugee camps, like many other Eritrean strong women and the majority of my generation, SubhanAllah, we were looked after by our mother because the the fathers were whether either were they are fighting mm. at at, um, at the front line or they immigrated to um, uh, to to work in in the gulf or somewhere around the middle mm. east trying to find secure job so my mother was everything for me subhanallah for many years and i've seen how she was handling all this difficulty and i think that shaped my life May Allah yes. make a, make a, the people of paradise from the, among the people I mean, of paradise. Yeah. Subhanallah. There's so many, uh, so many stories where the mother is uh, uh, central to uh, you know the the, the uh, you know the, the development of the main character, so to speak. You know, you look at uh, Musa alayhi salam. Uh, you look at uh, even Asiya, the the wife of Firon, who looked after Musa alayhi salam. You look at uh, you know uh, Subhanallah Maryam alayhi salam. You know, by herself, um, going through. So, inshallah, may Allah accept your mother in among yes. the rank of those women, inshallah, in paradise, where, you know, uh, in that good company. <laughs> Subhanallah. Uh, so, uh, after, you, you know, one thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, this, that these people from this this region, the Eritreans, uh, Ethiopians, this is the same... Um, you know uh, the, the 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 descendants the descendants of the the mighty kingdoms uh, of the past you know of that that gave uh, shelter to the sahaba of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know that gave uh, that the the muslims emigrated to in the first hijra you know and then uh, you know from that position of strength uh, someone was just saying that it seems over the last 100 years or so a lot of problems have been um facing muslims and Muslim kind of uh, societies and communities and Muslim majority countries, um, is that just something that because we're Muslims we're focusing on that, or do you think that Muslims are disproportionately have been you know affected in the last hundred years or so by these types of problems? I mean, um, <coughs> Eritrea, for instance, it's a it's it's a unique country, unique mm. in a way that Subhanallah we uh, accepted Islam way before Medina. <laughs> uh, the, the first is, is called the land yeah. of two, two hijra, the land yeah. of hijratain, because um, you, you remember in the story of the hijra when the Sahaba, uh, which were led by Jafar ibn Abi Talib, Osman mm. ibn Affan, and so many of the great Sahaba um, who made it to uh, Abyssinia, to land of Habasha, and subsequently we know they remember the stories that uh, Quraysh sent somebody mm. and uh, Amr ibn As and the uh, Nagashu, and the, he had the evidence from both sides. He said, "Wallahi, I will not." let them go back with you even if you pay me uh, amount of earth gold 
And the Sahaba, they stayed there. Alhamdulillah, they established themselves. And people slowly start to accept Islam until there was a time in Mecca in, after a uh, few years when the Prophet Sallallahu was reciting one of the surah uh, and he ended up the surah, Fasjudu Lillahi Wa'abudu. And the Quraysh had, they were listening to him. Mm. And because of the shock and the beauty of the Quran, when the Prophet Sallallahu did the sujood, Quraysh followed him. The story said they followed mm. him. And everyone thought Mecca become Muslim. So the Sahaba, they heard yeah. that uh, Mecca has converted to Islam. So they came back from Abyssinia. Mm. But they discovered still the torture, everything continue in, 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 in Mecca. So they have to go back to yeah. Habasha. Hence, we have the, the name of Ardul uh, Hijratain. Mm. Uh, there was twice Hijra because some of the Sahaba joined them again and they made the Hijra again to uh, this land. So since then, Alhamdulillah, uh, Eritrea and the land of Abyssinia uh, accepted Islam with no war, with no... Mm. Uh, it was a peaceful uh, acceptance of Islam and it developed. But in the last hundred years, starting with the colonization of Italy, mm. uh, the Muslim community were marginalized and they were marginalized purposely. Um, uh, their position were weakened, their wealth were stripped away and mm. slowly they were uh, seen as as the lower class in many uh, areas. And when the British Connolly um, uh, came, they continued the same policy. The Ethiopian, for 30 years, they continued the same policy. And mm. unfortunately, today, with the local government, the first victim of the uh, Eritrean regime today, they were the Muslims. Because yeah. after the independence back in 92, after two years, many Muslims from the Middle East who gained uh, this beautiful spiritual Islam and they thought they can go back and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala peacefully in their land and they went back from Sudan, from Saudi. Many of those scholars and and, and, and talib ilm, they were arrested and they were they were in prison. They were never out after that. Some of them they are they died in prison, some of them they were uh, um, taken into prison when they were young and nobody knows about them. At the beginning, it seems the Muslims were the majority of the victims. But mm. later, the regime, um, I mean, I don't want to go into the politics side because I'm representing Ethar. But the yeah. fact is, everybody knows that we have a huge political issue at the moment. And the regime in there has uh, imprisoned a lot of people, Muslim, Christian. Yeah. Today, everyone is a victim it, of it, the situation. So it tends, yes, it tends to happen that was, that, that mm. a lot of policies are kind of tested out on Muslims first when it comes to in more draconian policies, more, um, you know, uh, Muslims are kind of scapegoated as the, 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 the bogeyman and to make it easier for certain regimes to um, tighten a, a grip on, uh, you know, society. And then slowly that gets widened and wide, more and more wide mm. uh, to include other people as well, uh, subhanAllah. Uh, so, so you were saying? Yeah, so um, subhanAllah, they, we were the victim initially, but now today everyone is suffering in, in Eritrea. Mm. And the amount of people who immigrated after the independence is incredible because you would expect, you would expect people after the independence in 1994, after 30 years of fighting with, with Ethiopia, mm. we got our independence, hundreds of thousands of people died. Now people in the refugee camps, they have the choice to go back to Eritrea. And the UN uh, they were organizing uh, the uh, voluntary return to Eritrea. Can you imagine somebody being on those refugee camps for 30 years, and then they are returned to their country? And what happened? <coughs> their land is stripped. Their kids are taken away to a military service, endless military service. Uh, there is no support for them. You know those people, they return back to the refugee camps in Sudan. They run away to refugee camps. Mm. It's almost when you run away from a fire and you see something greater, you go back to the fire. Subhanallah. So what kind of problem you've seen to go back to a fire? Mm. This is it's just mind-blowing when you think about it. Somebody who's been in refugee camps with no services, with no um, uh, decent living, and yet they decide to go back from the refugee camps. And today, from 94 until today, every single week, Almost over, um, uh, over, over 30, 40 young people cross the border from Sudan, uh, mm. from Eritrea, running into Sudan border, trying to escape to make it to Libya and then to Europe. And you know what? Hundreds of, of Eritrean and thousands of Eritrean young people died in the way 
uh, in the desert of, of, of Libya, in the Sahara of Sudan and Libya. Their body was sold as body part in Sinai, in Israel. Um, a lot of them, uh, hundreds of people died in the Mediterranean trying to make it to Italy, to Greece. SubhanAllah, it's atrocity after atrocity. But the Eritrean, we have very quiet voice. We don't mm. um, voice it out. We don't protest. Mm. We don't talk about our problems. Very rare is here mm. um, committing crime. It, it, probably we followed mm. the You don't see many Eritreans on the headlines for committing crime or making yeah. problems. You don't see yeah. it. We are a very quiet nation, subhanAllah. We've been oppressed for a long time mm. and people just get on with it. But why do, you, why do you think that is? Yeah. What, what's the what's mental... The mental... So why do you think that is? That that the the people weren't really, you know, voicing their, their concerns or complaining or uprising? What's the reason behind that? I mean, one, historically, Eritrean are a quiet nation, but uh, the other side, I think it's the uh, the layers of, of, of negativity that we've been through, the mm. uh, the oppression, the problem. Sometimes it takes a little while to gain your confidence and to try to fight back uh, for your right and to, to be present. We have a small number of Eritrean representing um, uh, the voice of Eritrea. Unfortunately, there are small numbers. Um, um, so... Uh, when, when you go through, um, for instance, a lot of young people, they've been uh, on this military service, <clears throat> endless military service for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. When they come out of it, they are exhausted mm. and they have no energy really to go and, and protest or fight back or advocate for that issue. Um, and then they go through um, Sudan. And in Sudan, you don't have the freedom of movement as, as a return to do a lot. So for quite a few years, a lot of them, they are kept quite inert. They are not active. And then you try your luck to go through the desert of, of Sahara, of Libya and mm. and Sudan. And it's a long journey. You exhaust. You are exhausted financially. You try and repay your debts. Your family, probably they sold their small house or animals to give you the, the, the fund to make it uh, to a safe place. After all that, once people reach a destination, all they are thinking is, how am I going to pay back my debts? How am I going to support my family? How am my I going to survive? Family? It's to survive. Yeah, they think so. It's survival. very few people that have the comfort or the the eagerness or the energy to um, uh, start something. We do have, unfortunately, um, few um, groups, but um, due to the political backgrounds, the division it didn't help them as well. Mm. Subhanallah. There's also a lot about um, kind of intergenerational trauma that if somebody's yes. been, you know, you mentioned four generations of, you know, uh, refugees that. Trauma itself can be inherited in, in in a type of way from the way like you know the the, the parents uh, the messages and the, the 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 emotions and the stuff that they give to the children and they, they absorb that and carry on. I think Dr. Asim Qureshi he did in his lockdown series, lockdown library series for the online masjid. He did a a section on some uh, some literature about about this about intergenerational trauma. But have you? Talking about the negative side, when you look at the mm. positive, like uh, Sultan, the, the the founder of Ithar Relief, um, he came through a very, very difficult um, life, um, uh, poor, orphan, and then refugee camps, and mm. then traveling from one country to another, Egypt, Qatar, trying his, his, to, to study, settle somewhere, and he couldn't, and then mm. he ended up in Europe. He was comfortable in Norway. Uh, and you know, mashallah, life in Norway is 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 is, uh, is one of the top uh, in the world, if not the top. Mm. He was comfortable there, and he could have settled uh, with his wife, his children, um, just to get on with his life. But his decision to make impact, to make change, and probably Sultan at that time he didn't realize how far he can go, yeah. but he made that tawakkul um, to start something. So when he started uh, um, Ithar Relief. Um, and if he allow me, maybe talking on his behalf on Inshallah, how yeah. Ithar started. So when he started Ithar Relief, he was working from his own home, uh, no office, nothing. And the person who was helping him, believe it or not, was his daughter, uh, who was at that time probably 14, 15 years old. She was the one who was writing for him the proposal so he can approach mm. human appeal, Islamic relief, tell them about the problem. And subhanAllah, when I walked into Ithar office, um, taking my role, uh, one of the beautiful things I found was this young woman, this young girl, at the age of 14, 15, 16, 
the proposal she was using, she was writing proposal, her mm-hmm. English, mashallah. I Asana. used it. I only tweaked it a little bit. It was so good. <laughs> I was I was shocked how a young person would write that beautiful proposal. It must be that connection with her dad when she heard about the difficulties, the life he's been through, mm. and the, the memories that he is expressing to his daughter. And this is what we want from our community, to speak to your to your children about your struggle, find out, you know, there, there is connection. So Sultan, when he started this, um, he was alone, and then few people joined him. Um, in three, four years later, um, mashallah, few of the brothers, especially Asian from uh, the Kashmir and, and, and Pakistani community, mm. they joined him into a journey to Sudan. And that was the changing moment for Ithar. In 2011, a few brothers joined him um, for a visit to the refugee camps and they produced a documentary called Remembering the Forgotten. That Mm. documentary went everywhere. That made the difference. That was the starting of Ithar, where people to realize the name of Eritrea, Habasha, the land of Abyssinia, the struggle. People started to to, to realize about Ithar. So, so someone's um, watching, you know, if, despite the, the difficulty in your background, where have you come from, the, the, the troubles that you've seen, if you have that determination and tawfiq from Allah, you know, you can do great things, subhanAllah, if you have absolutely. Uh, that determination. And, uh, and, and subhanAllah, to add, to twist the story, um, soon after that, soon after uh, Sultan came back from uh, Sudan, and he was full of energy, and he's got the documentary in his hand, and he started to reach out to communities, to organizations. Guess what? He was diagnosed with cancer. Allahu Akbar. Subhanallah. Wallahi. He was diagnosed with cancer and he was on the brink of death. Subhanallah. He was hospitalized, taking the uh, chemo- uh, uh, chemotherapy, chemotherapy. Uh, all kind of medication. His body was naked. That his family wished for him just to rest in peace. That, that was, wallahi, for, 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 for almost a year, he was in bed and he was in pain. That His family was worried, you know, even if he recovered, is he going to be the same again? Mm. They can see him. I visited him once, wallahi, once. I only dared to visit him once. I could not look at him when he was in hospital. Subhanallah. And, and when I saw him, I thought it was the goodbye moment. Mm. And you know what? In his death moment, in, his, uh, in that illness moment, Okay, when he when he was in the brink of death, Wallahi, uh, uh, Doctor Bat, Subhanallah, all he can think is, uh, what about the orphans? You know, he mm. I, I came with group of the trustees. I was trustee at that moment, and and I was in tears as I entered to visit him, and as I approached him, he held my hand, and he grabbed me, and he was whispering in my ear. He chose me from the, we had close friends, but among the trustees, there were people who were closer to him. But for some reason, he just grabbed me and he started whispering in my ear. He was telling me, Saeed, if anything happened, look after the orphan, um, the widows. Don't forget, Wallah al-Azim, the man is about to die. Mm. He could have thought about his family, his children. He is thinking about the orphans, the widows, the, the, those people are forgotten. Nobody knows about them. Amana Saeed, don't let this uh, project off your hand. I speak to the trustees, tell them it's Amana, I'm passing it to them. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah that he recovered and he can mm-hmm. see all the good work and the, the younger generation taking responsibility. Wallahi, alhamdulillah. The loss of a loved one is never easy. These refugees lost their father. To lose your father in a refugee camp is even more difficult. Please openly donate to the Eritrean refugees. Alhamdulillah. May Allah give uh, more barakah to uh, the organization. Uh, Tariq, in your travels, you've been across the world, many different places, in different uh, kind of charity uh, projects and stuff. Have you come across um, people from Eritrea? And you said, uh, Sheikh Said mentioned the, the refugees reached to Sudan, some even reached to Yemen. You mentioned in the past. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I went to Sudan. Yeah, in, in Sudan, we were there for uh, one of the, the charities that I was working for, and we were seeing all the refugees going to some of the camps. And the Eritrean refugees, there was massive, massive refugee camps in, in the south. We weren't actually allowed to gain access to them because of the political situation. But we, we heard the stories, and um, subhanAllah, a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. And that's the reality. Sometimes, maybe Sheikh can confirm this, but 
times were not even allowed to gain access to certain refugee camps as aid workers because the governments are very much aware of the the deficiencies they have in taking care of those refugees the camps aren't up to standards human rights human rights standards are not being maintained um you know people are suffering like Sheikh said he had diseases uh growing up in some of these camps himself you know uh, and some of the big 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 charities that we when i was in sudan we weren't actually allowed to go to some villages because some of the big charities some of the wells that they had done were very bad standard and and so on so Sheikh, that's a point for that i'd like to understand from you as well obviously nowadays in the community there is somewhat a sense of distrust people they don't really feel that all charities can be relied on can be trust on there's scandals taking place as well i'm just wondering how have ithar managed to to stay away from these scandals what standards what principles have you put in place when it comes to implementing your work and benefiting people in the right way with dignity with with high standards uh, I think, Wallahi, first of all, is the, the barakah of Allah uh, on, on this project due to the, um, the fact those, those, those people in the refugee camps, subhanAllah, Allah is looking after them. We are only reason. Um, many of those uh, people in the refugee camps are the most vulnerable. They are the um, uh, Hafiz Quran. Wallahi, you, you, you see a lot of those young people, they don't have schools, but most of them, they are. Um, they are, they are they go to uh, madrasa, they, they memorize Quran, they are people of deen, mm -hmm. they are people of dignity. Wallahi, when we go there, they don't chase us, they don't they don't ask for money. You give them, you give them. If we have limited amount of food packs, we deliver it. And the neighbors, they can see you sometime coming to deliver to a particular point. They don't say nothing. They look mm -hmm. at you, salam alaikum, jazakallah khair that you came, and you drop it, and you pass in maybe 10 houses. Um, with very bad condition to go to house number 11 or to hut, uh, go to house, but it's <laughs> it's all to hut number 11, and all of them, they won't chase you. It's halas, alhamdulillah, they got their nasib, their um, uh, share, alhamdulillah. So to start with, it's the people who are in the ground. Mm. Secondly, from day one, the way Ithar was set up by Brother Sultan, subhanAllah, it was unique. Um, despite all the political um, um, polarization that exists in the Eritrean community. Eritrea is a, is a, is a, is a country um, uh, full of, uh, of a variety of tribe, religion, uh, languages, mm. and, and, and very often, and the struggle as well that we've been through. Um, so even politically and the fighters, all they have their own ideology. So we were influenced by the Russian, by the uh, Hizb al-Ba'ath in Iraq, in Syria, mm by the Islamic movement in Sudan, in Egypt, by the Christian uh, groups, by uh, others, secularism. SubhanAllah, it's, it's a country which has a lot of polarization. But when Ithar was set up, um, mm. the first vision of, of our brother Sultan was to make sure this is a pure charity and it will mm. not represent any group and it will help everyone who need our help. It's a humanity. Uh, organization to to save human to to help the needy and that was the focus and I think that throughout the years that message was repeated and whoever joined Ithar has that in mind so we had alhamdulillah a yeah. beautiful board of trustees who are very caring and and they have a very very regular meeting they never missed uh, their uh, quarterly meeting at all mm. since I've joined them I know even if they are um, all busy they will do it through Skype uh, even before the lockdown <laughs> so they do that on a regular base mm. the other thing is um uh, i think and i, and I believe um, a lot of the volunteers who joined ethar and who made the trip to the refugee camps when they come back they were the ambassadors of this work yeah. and subhanallah one 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 of those people i mean i mentioned the, the group who, who went in 2011 but one of the um, interesting stories subhanallah uh, you know Charity Right. Yeah. Yeah. Charity Right. They 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 came to um, have a meeting in uh, in Birmingham and they were looking for a space. Uh, basically, somebody pointed them towards uh, uh, Abu Salman Sultan and our office. At that time, we had a small office, so they wanted to use the office. So uh, called so, um, Sultan and they arranged. They came, sat in the office, did their meeting, 
two or three of them, Sajjad and, and, and Brother Hazim, as they finished, they were leaving. And they spoke to Abu Salman. They said, um, uh, should we pay anything, you know, contribute anything towards the use of your office? He said, no, but I need just five minutes of your time to listen to me. So he said, that's fine. That's a good deal. Five minutes. And they sat down. They were listening to him. And he told them the story of the refugee camps. Shortly after that, Abu Salman was, uh, was, was ill, Sultan, with the cancer. And Brother Azim remembered the promise he made to mm. Sultan that he will visit the refugee camps. And he had mm. that Sultan was um, in bed for, for many months. So he decided to make the trip to the refugee camps. And you know what? SubhanAllah, since... Brother Azim from Charity Right and Brother Sajjad and group with them. And I believe even uh, Brother, um, the uh, CEO of um, Zakat, National Zakat Foundation, what's his name? Mm. Iqbal. Um, Iqbal. Yeah. Yes, all visit the refugee camp. Wallahi, when they come back, subhanAllah, that project become one of their top priority. Today, um, Charity Right are supporting over 30 schools Mashallah. in the refugee camps. They are sponsoring a lot of big projects in, in terms of education and feeding the children. Um, a lot of people who visited those refugee camps, they come back, they mm. become the real ambassador of, of this work. And whoever seen that, to be honest, he will give uh, not 110%, but he will dedicate their life to make sure those people, they get something. I think that's probably the reason mm. why, alhamdulillah, uh, we don't see many trouble with Ithar. I mean, one of the things I like about Ithar Relief is we we've been working as a Sam Transi. We've been working with Ithar Relief for a, I think a, a year or two now, and um, there are big charities. But Ithar Relief have that um, good relationship with the big charities as well. And that the if, correct me if I'm wrong that the charities they go to Ithar Relief on the ground there right. to help. Uh, um, distribute aid to where it's known because that's the, the the good thing with having a small uh, specific charity is it's a specialist. They have, you know, if it's either a specialist in a particular, literally a geographical area or in a particular topic, a uh, particular type of service that they're able to give, then the big charities they go to them and they you know they help them to um, distribute their aid, either the zakah or the sadaqah from the people. So, um, and that that that's really good that you have that. Uh, intimate relationship with the people over Absolutely. there anyway and you know you you don't so someone who is seen as foreign a foreign kind of aid giver they're not going to have that credibility and you know especially in such a politically kind of tumultuous uh, yes. terrain where people are not going to have that trust but Ithar Relief as far as I understand you have that um, trust with the people where even you know where there's different kind of fighting factions they'll step aside and they'll let Ithar deliver their aid subhanAllah uh, yes, we have uh, we have uh, large charity like Oma Welfare Trust for mm. many years. Mashallah, they've been working with us. They are, we deliver huge projects for them in Sudan, Yemen, Djibouti. Mm. Uh, we have Human Appeal, um, UK Islamic Mission, Wafa Relief, um, and, and many uh, charity rights, and mm. many more organizations. We started recently with the Khair Foundation, Alhamdulillah. Mashallah. So many big charities are working uh, with us. And as you said, it's, it's not only delivering, but you, you can imagine when you go to the refugee camps, uh, Dr. Bratt and Brother Tariq, subhanAllah, I go to the refugee camps and I see people starving. Last year when Sultan went to the refugee camps for uh, this regular monitoring visit and he had some guests with him, one woman, she came to him and she was struggling. She looked like a drunken person, you know, struggling even to, 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 to stay alert. And they asked, what's wrong with her? Subhanallah, the woman did not eat for three days. Wallahi, she had she had literally nothing. And and when we asked, we were told that refugee camp they were struggling big time. Um, food is very rare in the refugee camps, mm. and many people they don't complain. And this is the thing: that woman she just locked herself away in that little hat, and she didn't want to go out to beg. Wallahi, it was by 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 incident that they found out. Uh, another story, Subhanallah, one sister. When we went to ask her to ask her how is it going the sponsorship, so she was telling us about the money and she said Alhamdulillah this is beautiful you sponsored one of my children, and then another woman came to thank us, and we said to that woman okay Jazakallah sister but we didn't do nothing for you so what are you thanking us for, and she said you know the sponsorship given this woman the twenty five dollars, for a year she's been dividing it with me. So half of that sponsorship was given to our neighbor. We didn't know. Mm. People share everything. People care. And when you see that, how could you come back here and cheat on them or, you know, uh, play games or mess up with the fund or mess up with your work? Wallahi, you cannot sleep. 
I wouldn't forget one night, uh, Sultan called me at about three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. He called me and his voice was almost like, almost crying, depressed. And, and he said to me, Saeed, how could you sleep? And I didn't understand what he meant. He said to me, how could you sleep? You know, he said, you know, the, the so-and-so charity, our partners, you know, they dropped about 15 or 20 of our orphans. They have no sponsor. He said to me, and you are able to sleep. Wallahi, subhanallah. <laughs> Sultan, we, we, we deserve to have a little rest just after a long day. But again, that, that is Sultan. He set up the standard so high, subhanallah. They call this food. Do you? This is what they eat. Imagine spending a day without water. Here, they don't need to imagine. It is their reality. If you or your family member fell ill, we can get medical treatment. Here, they just pray. Please, openly donate to the Eritrean refugees. Sheikh, uh, obviously now in the UK, there's a lot going on with the lockdown and the COVID situation. And you're giving us examples of stories that are probably outside of that, that you know, uh, unusual situation where the people are suffering, there's not food in the refugee camps. And now with everything that's going on, charities aren't raising as much money. Uh, they're having to adapt. I'm just wondering how Ethar Relief adapting the, the, the fundraising activities and how is it affecting you know, the COVID situation, how is it affecting those people that you're trying to help? So, Allah, two, two, two sides. One is our, mm. our activities here and trying to get as much fund as possible to help. And the second part is uh, the field. So, from our side, activities, subhanAllah, this year, we contacted so many messages. So, before Ramadan, by two months, we had, uh, the plan was, you know what, first Ramadan, I'm going to be out visiting on average two to three masjid every day doing collection i said to my family goodbye i won't see you for a month probably i'll see you, a day see or you in shawal <laughs> yeah, well, like, that was it because last year this is what we did we used yeah. to travel throughout the month and then we go like two to three masjid every day we do collection Dhuhr, Asr, and yeah. then Isha, we are somewhere and that was the plan so we had list of uh, 50 masjid almost guarantee and we have extra masjid we're looking to do few events and expand. We had we hired people for event management, and all of a sudden everything just seems to ha to collapse, because that is your main uh, 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 channel of funding. And then we had few organizations saying, you know what, Said, and the 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 funding this year is going to be really mm. difficult, so we're going to cut our funding by um, eighty percent, by seventy percent. Mm. One organization just pulled out completely. You know, uh, mm. some organization they couldn't cope. Um, you know, organization like UK, UK Islamic Mission, UKIM, yeah. they have a range of messages and their, yeah. their main income is from those messages throughout the Ramadan. So they struggle to fund some of our projects. They apologize. Jazamallah, they've done fantastic work for yeah. many years. For us, was like, what are we going to do? It was almost like, subhanAllah, uh, we sat down, we looked into all the uh, digital marketing. But one thing, Akhi, Wallahi, one thing, yani, subhanAllah, dua. And, and worrying for the sake of Allah is is magnificent uh, uh, tool and, and and weapon. Wallahi, yani, I've seen people in our office, I've seen our CEO, I've seen many of our supporters making dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us something alternative. Mm. That's from this side. And on the field, you've got Sudan, they start to lock down. So refugee camps, there was limited access. So we had issue both. Just before Ramadan, guess, brother, subhanAllah, before Ramadan, by two weeks, and we had some donors in, 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 in the Gulf and other areas that they said initially it might be difficult this year because mm. we have to pay salaries for people who are not working and it's going to be difficult. So we, we lost hope. Yeah. Wallahi, akhi, we, we had the first donation that came. Almost it was uh, equivalent to 20% of our whole uh, income for the Ramadan project. Subhanallah. Before Ramadan, Wallahi, from a donor who is, is good with us, and, and Subhanallah, we received a phone call saying, I've calculated my zakat, and I've decided to give it to the Eritrean refugees because they mm. are the most worthy. And that was for us, was like, Subhanallah. Yani, we thought there's nothing coming, and Allah mm. is generous. Something came. And then the digital, the team in the office, I think they've done incredibly well. They have to um, shift everything quickly. And we had super, super two or three volunteers 
uh, who joined our team, professional, top professional, who are working day and night. Wallahi, we had a, a, a volunteer with us who is on, at management level at the moment, who worked t- literally 24-7. He worked more hours than the paid staff mm. and to make sure all the system is set up. So alhamdulillah, the level of income we received today, I can tell you, it's equivalent to what we get last year. Allahu Akbar. And, and, and we have access, alhamdulillah, in the field as well. The local authorities in, in Sudan, they were understanding. So they've given us like exceptional permission to um, go and, and distribute our food in the refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So we've been distributing. Allah is generous. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, the, uh, subhanallah, the, the people are going to get Served by the one who's giving them the provision, but it's up to us. Anyone watching at home as well? Do we want to be part of that? That those means? Do we want to be the route for these people to be, uh, you know, provided for? Uh, subhanallah, it's it's quite it's 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 encouraging and it's also sad at the same yeah. time. It's yeah. encouraging that you know you know that 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 uh, the, the 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 funds are still being raised for some of these important projects, yeah. but it's also sad that. You know, if 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 we're watching at home and saying, if I wasn't part of that, then you know, because we have to resist the tendency when people are in a, a difficult situation, we might start withholding and start hoarding. You know, like you've seen in <laughs> when the lockdown started, people hoarding, hoarding, hoarding. But the Muslim should be someone who, if other one else is hoarding, someone else is hoarding, they should be giving even more, inshallah, in the time of difficulty. It it it, it is it is all about perception and understanding about sadaqa, what it means to you. Uh, one of the early memories, subhanAllah, uh, in the office, we have a donor. Uh, we needed quick fund for a specific project. I mean, family were in dire need, group of mm. schools. So we contacted a few donors, and, and, and this guy, he said, inshallah, give me a few hours, I'll try to. It was a few thousand pounds. And then he called after a few hours to say, I managed to get the money. <laughs> and then our CEO always said to him, somebody, wallahi, just called about two minutes ago and he paid for that project in full. So Jazakallah Khair, we don't need it. Maybe for other projects if you wish. You yeah. know what? That person, wallahi, he was in tears. He was crying. Yeah. He said, subhanAllah, I must have done something that my sadaqah is not reaching to those most needy people, those who are desperate. I brought the money and Allah is not taking it from me. Wallahi, he was in tears. So people have a different understanding for Salah. For some, it's just extra money. Mm. For some, it's part of their, you know, subhanAllah, not only the belief, but it's to purify your, your money, and mm. they understand that. And subhanAllah, and for some, it's, 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 it's the word ithar. I don't know if you, if you understand the word ithar, <laughs> yeah. but, but it means to give when you are in dire need. You yeah. know, the people of Medina. How they share their wealth Allah praise them So the word Ithar hence came from there Subhanallah yeah. That's the issue I'm just wondering with the last 10 nights upon us Sheikh They're about to start very soon What What's the focus of Ithar relief in these last 10 days? What are you asking from people? How 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 can they be part of of that ethos. Really. Um, I mean, now with the COVID-19, with the uh, coronavirus, with the lockdown, those refugee camps for many months, they will not get any supply. Mm-hmm. And when you think about lockdown, uh, at least we have a space here. We have spare rooms and people mm-hmm. can mobilize. Yeah. And there you have the hat. And many of the hats are torn apart because they've been built for probably 10, 20, 30 years, and they don't protect you from the sun or from the rain or from the cold. So this is where you live. Can you imagine, Tariq, if one person ill in that little hut, what's going to happen? Mm. There is, the word isolation means nothing. Those people, they literally, that's all they have. And if the mother, you have vulnerable people, elderly, disabled, sick people, low in immune system, their immune system is very low, nutrition mm. is very low, and and on top of that, lack of food, lack of water. Forget about clean water. Lack of water in itself. There is no uh, cleaning material, soap, and 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 and, and sanitizer. All this missing completely. So imagine with all that circumstance, and you are living in a small hut. If one person got ill, the whole family would be infected. If one person in that community got ill, there is nothing to protect them apart from the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So immediately, we need people to help us by donating for food pack to start with, 
then we have so many uh, schools, madrasa, that they need our support for the uh, next few few months, inshallah. So your zakat mm. will be much, much, much appreciated. Um, can you still hear me? Sorry. I can hear you, yeah. yeah. I think so, Tariq uh, had to maybe dropped off the call, but uh, we'll carry on, inshallah. So, so uh, you can imagine, yani, your zakat wallahi, will go long, long, long way. You're mm. not only providing food for people who are hungry uh, for a couple of nights. This is you saving family uh, at this critical time. So your zakat will be delivered to those people. Your zakat will be delivered to the people of Quran. You know, we have um, hundreds of hundreds of, of madrasa and Quran, khalwa. Um, children there, they don't have meals, wallahi. Jazamallah khair, the brothers in Ummah Welfare Trust and uh, and and and, and um, Charity Right, they do help us with some schools, but there are many schools on the waiting list. Um, your zakat will sponsor much-needed orphans. At the moment, we have 650 orphans on our waiting list. Yeah, they have no income, nothing. So we need that support. Wallahi. Um, clean water. Many people still walk uh, miles um, mm. to get clean water. So can we give them that clean water, you know, to make their wudu, to drink uh, nice water every morning and wash their body, clean their body, protect them from the um, diseases, COVID-19 and so on. Yeah. Uh, you've got all that. And then you've got the absence of health provision. So we just built a hospital by a brother who has been so generous with Ithar. Subhanallah, he built a water well, large water well. He built uh, the first school in the refugee camp. He built a masjid with us and he built now a hospital. Subhanallah, and he's doing fantastic work with Ithar and he visited the refugee camps. He's seen it by himself. He's seen his projects. We need people, businesses, and 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 people who have yeah. the ability to change the life of those children in those refugee camps. We need support, inshallah, from everyone. And those yeah. who cannot um, financially support us, we need your dua, inshallah ta'ala, and um, to um, reach out to the wider community, deliver this message, and um, yeah. share with them the story of the Eritrean refugees. It's very important. I mean, personally, I every all the people I know that have uh, not just because you know we're working together with some Trinity, but personally, I tell everyone I can who everyone's asking about zakah and stuff that this is an amazing, uh, amazing charity. You know, to support, inshallah. I'm not just saying that because <laughs> Sheikh Saeed is watching me right here on my on my screen. Yeah, but uh, you know, when 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 it comes to a big charity, there's so many big charities that are doing excellent, fantastic work, but. You feel sometimes that your donation is kind of uh, kind of fungible almost in that you know you're just paying into a massive pot and you know it's it's happening then all the great stuff is happening with, with many charities but with something like Iftari relief you know a small a kind of intimate charity you can directly kind of see that your your pounds and pennies are making inshallah through by the mercy of Allah uh, having a direct impact you can see you know where where that's going and it's having a you know significant impact on someone's uh, on someone's life and on these these uh, subhanAllah forgotten refugees So if you've been uh, watching this and hearing all these stories You know, feeling guilty about all the samosa and pakore That you're about to have for, you know, iftar Then use that guilt, you know We we Naturally we try and kind of, our, our minds just kind of suppress that Our nafs just suppresses that and wants us to change the channel Or think about something else But use that, that feeling of guilt uh, to push yourself To push myself to make a donation to uh, resolve to do something regular, inshallah. Maybe um, you know, be creative. Look at the. You've heard the story of uh, Sultan uh, from such a difficult kind of situation, such difficult beginnings. He had that determination. I'm going to do this project. I'm going to help an alarm open up so many doors for this. So, if you feel that there's something that needs to be changed in the world, you know that there's people that need to be helped. Make a determination. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will, inshallah, uh, you know, open up doors for you and for me. If I want to help these refugees and other people, you know, um, wherever they need help, then I can, you know, resolve to say, you can, I want to help you and I'm, I want to think of ways to do that. It might be just simple as sending messages to your friends. It might be sim something a bit more creative, like, you know, making a, I think the brothers and sisters did a, assumption see, we did a bake sale, uh, you know, selling little cakes and, you know, that was sold out in 24 hours or something, getting delivery to people. Just little kind of, um, creative ideas like that. So, uh, yeah, Subhanallah. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can uh, try and sort something out where uh, people can people can um, uh, directly contact you. We'll, we'll try and obviously have uh, the links. Inshallah, when this podcast is, uh, you should. We'll try and get some links on screen now if yeah. if they haven't been already. 
Um, just, just one more thing. Uh, <coughs> so, um, we talked a lot about the Eritrean refugees, mm. but uh, ITAR is doing more than that today. Um, today, mm -hmm. ITAR is working in Yemen uh, and working with the needy, um, the Sudanese needed. The reason, subhanAllah, as, as, as a practice, and, 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 and that was led by uh, Brother Sultan and the Board of Trustees, mm. uh, we never go to refugee camps directly without helping those people who are living around the refugee camps from the local people. Because mm. equally, they are poor, and the refugees are using their resources. So whenever we have a food distribution or any project, we always make sure 20, 30% goes to the local communities as well who are in dire need equally to the refugees. In mm. Yemen, we started that. But today, guess what? The Yemeni internal displaced people, they are in worse situation than the Eritrean refugees. Yes, For that reason, we expanded our, our project in Yemen and we're doing a lot. Alhamdulillah, people visit our website and Facebook. They will see yeah. that we are delivering the fresh bread uh, project daily. Um, over three, four hundred families are benefiting from fresh bread every single day. Uh, mm -hmm. Hundreds of iftar. We deliver food pack every single day throughout Ramadan. We're delivering um, um, clean water to many places in Sana'a, in Hudaida, and, and many other areas, small villages who are in dire need for clean water. And we're delivering your zakat. So Alhamdulillah, we're working in Yemen, we're working in Djibouti. We extended our project to help those most need in, in Somalia. Um, next week, we'll be working in South Ethiopia for the first time. We're going to be delivering our project to the dire, the they are community there. They are forgotten even more than the worse than the uh, Eritrean refugee in Sudan. Mm. We discovered they are completely marginalized. So we are delivering about 400 food packs next week. So Alhamdulillah, mm. Ithar is reaching out to even farther, deeper, um, places hard to reach. All this is possible by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because of your donation, by the generous donation from so many people. And we need you to help us, inshallah ta'ala, to reach even farther. Uh, to those people who are completely forgotten, marginalized, most vulnerable in those communities. So even during the lockdown. From my, from my sorry, uh, uh, if I may, is yeah. it okay? Yeah, yeah. One minute. And subhanAllah, from my uh, association with Intara and charities, wallahi, mm. we hear sometimes that somebody gave sadaqah and that sadaqah changed uh, his marriage life. And that sadaqah helped him to, to, to have a better life for his children, you know. Um, mm. uh, their children become more disciplined or healthier or, you know, give sadaqah on behalf of, of their um, sick one and, and they can become, become better. Mm. Wallahi, I've seen it with my eyes, Dr. Pat. I've seen mm -hmm. people who are going into a uh, heart uh, surgeon uh, operation and the doctor will tell them, you've got only 5-10% chance to live. And Wallahi, they call us to say, can we give sadaqah to uh, um, mm. Quran children? Uh, can we pay three, 400 pounds to provide them with food? And they come back, wallah, in a week, two weeks' time to mm. tell you stories. You are amazed. And yeah. you hear people giving sadaqah on behalf of their children. Mm. And they tell you, alhamdulillah, wallah, I did not work much with my children. But alhamdulillah, my child is interested in Quran, is interested in, in, in becoming a better person. Alhamdulillah, it might be to do with the sadaqah. We yeah, know sadaqah can go far, far, far. So, brothers, we know all the hadith about sadaqah. It's the shade, yom al-qiyamah. It's the barakah in your house. It's the purifying of your wealth. We know all this hadith. But put it in practice. So, um, you know, right now in the lockdown, are you saying that we can, if we give donations now, it can actually reach people? Inshallah. Absolutely. Yeah. Every single day we are delivering and we are transferring money actually every mm. three, four days, you know, mashallah. because we get, mashallah, more so we can help more. Our yeah. our, our ambitious was to deliver uh, 5,000 food packs that's helping about 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, today we are distributing over seven, 8,000 food packs and mm. we will be doing even more by end of Ramadan with the amount of sadaqah we're receiving. We mm. are hopeful to distribute over 10, 12,000 food packs. That is only food packs. We're not talking about iftar, zakat, mal, zakat, iftar. Yeah. And water, and you know the health provision. I also wanted to ask you about zakatul fitr. Is that something yeah. we can give through Ithar Relief? So we will reach people yeah, before easy. Uh, one up on the website, yeah. five pound. You can give your zakat fitr. We've got the zakat calculator. Very easy. Um, couple of steps. You can calculate the zakat and choose the project. Mashallah. All is done is Alhamdulillah by the grace of Allah and the hard work uh, of our team in Ithar Office. Yeah. May Allah make it. Uh, a source of success for you uh, in this life and the next. May Allah make it a successful project. Um, I'm afraid uh, that's all the time we have uh, left today. I mean, I was kind of lost in the discussion. I didn't see uh, a lost track of time, alhamdulillah. But it's usually a good sign. 
Alhamdulillah. Um, Zakunah Khan Sheikh Saeed uh, from uh, Ithar Relief, CEO of Ithar Relief, and uh, also Tariq Sheikh, uh, who's been uh, my uh, uh, slash co-host slash uh, also kind of expert guest on the show uh, on this episode today. And Zakunah Khairan for you at home watching uh, watching this uh, podcast uh, wherever it's been streaming. Uh, like I said, if you feel uh, that uh, you know. A bit guilty, <laughs> you know that. Subhanallah, we're enjoying all of this, uh, all these blessings. Um, whilst uh, you know, there's people, uh, people starving out there. Use that guilt, you know. It's it's uh, it's inshallah put there by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to push us to uh, utilize our potential to change uh, the relationship we have with our wealth with sadaqa and um, yeah, um, have a look at uh, Ithar Relief. Uh, all the all the links will be in the description below, inshallah. Uh, and uh, just uh, I'll give it over to Tariq for some uh, final words uh, to uh, give the people a bit of a, a push as well, inshallah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the the last ten days are upon us, and I think when we're working with charities that have the opportunity to do great things on the ground, then we all need to just get involved. We need to make the most of it, alhamdulillah. And especially now, you know, there is concerns out there with certain charities that they're not able to uh, let's say do what they they want to do or, or saying they're doing and when a charity comes to you and you know they're trusted you know other charities are going to them to do great things then we all have to be on board and support those charities uh, alhamdulillah so excellent excellent uh, discourse alhamdulillah excellent news of what ithar relief is doing and uh, let's support them as much as we can inshallah This is what refugees call bread. They're hungry and must eat whatever they can find. They still try to keep in good spirits. Be mindful of the Eritrean refugees. Please, donate now to help them. Okay, Zakhlaq Tariq. And... So uh, if you like this podcast, give it a like and a share. Uh, if you're ready to take our relationship to the next level, then click the old uh, subscribe button and you'll get uh, notified when we get uh, uh, new podcasts like this. Uh, that's it for me. Uh, see you in the next one, inshallah. I've been your host, Salman Bhatt. And uh, yeah, if I relief, all of that uh, will be, the links will be in the description and maybe on the screen uh, as well as we speak. So uh, from myself, from Sam Tony on C. Uh, that's it for now. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.